Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Jim Amandus. Jim has a unique distinction of being the first pastor-in-residence and completing his program with PIR's founder, Dr. Chuck Wickman. Soon after that, Jim was called to serve Highlands Community Church near Seattle, Washington, and his PIR story didn't end with that. Here again is Dr. Jim Amandus sharing how hope and restoration for pastors can take place in the context of the local church. So Highland Community really began to embrace PIR. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I have to say it this way. I did. Mm-hmm. Chuck called me up after I joined the board, and I did. Um, the board of elders at our church, uh, as I talked with him about the opportunity, the invitation that Dr. Wickman had extended to me. At that time, Chuck had moved from SoCal to Virginia um, and was making that that you know, his ministry focus around pastors and residents, uh, and started PIR International. Um, and then they, they had already seen the first PIR come through, which absolutely, oh my gosh, the impact that that brought to our elder board, Mm -hmm. um, what that did for our congregation and with every subsequent PIR, the same thing just continued to happen. It deepened the shepherd's heart of our elders. So Highlands became involved um, uh, more in terms of heart and soul in helping people, um, not so much the program. Mm-hmm. I, I helped the program because I was the lead pastor. Um, and in time, as we had more pastors uh, coming to or we heard of and we extended that invitation around the PIR uh, uh, come to the ministry, I, I, then, would, I then had other um, pastoral staff members, uh, be hands-on with that ministry. I participated, but then they helped immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, but joining the board for, for several years, um, kind of kept that on the leadership level, kept that in front of our elder board. Mm-hmm. But having a pastor in residence is what kept PIR in front of our, our congregation and our leadership. And you said that that did so much for the church, deepening the the shepherd's heart. Uh, what what other things did you see God doing uh, in the congregation as they extended grace and and love to these PIRs? Our our church uh, and the people and, and other churches that have done have done the PIR. Uh, I hear similar similar two things that people in the congregation say they experience. First, we meaning I'm a member in this church, we can be, we can create a safe place for broken people to heal. Wow. Even, if, even if I'm not involved in, like I'm not in the small group, for example, that the first PIR and all the subsequent PRs, um, the couples, they wanted community. Um, so we invited them into, you know, just check out small groups and they would get involved in a, in a small group community. Um, as well as have a pastor working with them, counselors. And then we would just pull in people that uh, we just said, you know, 
hey, do you have, who has um, a job opening in with this kind of experience? And every, every PIR was a little bit different um, for what that need was. So people were hearing in the, in the people, wow, we can create a safe place. Hmm. The second thing they heard was, this is messy, but we can do this. We, we can create a safe place where people, broken people, can, can heal. It's messy, but they saw them heal. Mm. Time after time after time. Chuck once said, who heals the broken shepherd? Mm. Shepherds heal broken lambs, but who, who heals the shepherd? Mm. For a congregation to be a part of healing a shepherd? Oh my gosh. Even now I can feel my emotions coming up. Jim, that's so cool. Did, am I understanding it, it right that uh, you, your congregation learned to, to help pastors heal and then that extended into other ministry in the church? Um, did, did, did this, this uh, healing and, and, and messiness, getting comfortable with the messiness, did that spill over into other areas? Uh, Sean did, yes. <laughs> A pastor in residence, myself, uh, experience this and continued this practice is when a guy would join the staff, uh, when they were ready, we'd introduce them to the congregation. Um, and we would tell his, and he would tell his story. She, his wife would tell her story, but would do it in different environments. Um, so yes, from the pulpit, um, in time when a guy was ready, not all, but, but many of the guys asked him, would you like to preach? Um, and in your preaching, just if you, whatever your story you want to bring, you, you can bring. Uh, so their story was leaking out. It would leak out from the introduction, from the platform. People would meet them. People would have them, have them over for, for dinner um, or take them out for coffee. As we were making connections in the business community, different, we would encourage, we were coaching people from the side. and they, So they were meeting and listening and hearing, and the PIR would be, um, sharing his story. And every time he shared his story, it became, it was a healing thing for him. Anytime we can name our shame, name the pain, uh, it loses its power, its sting, <clears throat> and it invites healing. So it's how to create um, relationships, environments where that naming and, and that holding can, can happen. So happens in programs, small groups, come to a small group, get involved, but Gosh, as a couple, now the husband and wife, oh my gosh, pouring out their hearts with other people who are pouring out their hearts mm -hmm. around their own issues. <laughs> um, but early on, the, the shift that began to happen in our, our, our church, I'm going to say, um, when you talk about culture, uh, was a receptivity to ministering to broken people. So grief share, uh, divorce care, mm. prodigals. So sexual addiction and working with men with, with SA from a Christian perspective, um, those, those ministries got, got started. Um, the first prodigals chapter was at Highlands Community Church. Um, and it was around, it was around broken people. Uh, but that came out of a, a culture and a context um, of, of reaching out to and seeing it's okay um, to not have all the answers, to just let people cry. Wow, that's so powerful. It is. Any challenges that you saw in the church? I mean, um, 
it was a smooth, perfect process, right? Everybody just embraced it, and uh... well, actually, <laughs> actually, yes. I mean, because it required nothing from anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was my cover letter that would go out to the pastor and resident. I mean, he and his wife. Uh, for us, it was all all uh, male pastors. Uh, we didn't have any female pastors come through. Could have, we just didn't. Um, but as a couple, they would sit down, do a short list of people that would want to support them. We'd write, I'd write the cover letter, send out the support letter to their friends, and uh, which would, would just surprise everybody. We'd celebrate, share with the congregation <laughs> that look, here's a family that's being supported. Not a not a dime of it's coming from you. Um, it's coming from mm-hmm. the people who love and care for them. But here's what you can do. You can do something that all of those supporters want to do but can't do because they're not here. Right. Um, that kind of messaging just, oh, it just diffuses. Everybody, and people began to lean in going, mm-hmm. and elders, uh, when we first started this program, what's it going to cost us? Nothing except our heart, our time, our investment, our care of a, of a, of a pastor. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've, we've, we've walked through some incredibly painful, oh, my gosh, difficult um, stories and the grace of God uh, has been more than sufficient, um, has stunned us. Oh, just to, to be a witness to that as a congregation creates, uh, I, I would think, a depth of ministry that I mean, you just can't get that from the pulpit. You can be a wonderful preacher, but to, to experience that, that grace firsthand, um, to be an active participant in it, just uh, gives that, that depth for your people, which I'm sure as a pastor, you were loving to see that. Yeah, it was one of the, um, uh, what, unexpected consequences. I mean, there are unexpected consequences that are negative. Mm-hmm. I saw that with my flaws. I saw that in, in what I had experienced before the, and what took me into the pastor residence, and then other issues in my life, <clears throat> unintended consequences, but they're also unintended consequences of, a beauty and love and grace and truth um, that you just don't realize the spirit of God just creates um, and creates this amazing tapestry. We call it culture in a church um, or ministry programs that come out of a heart. Um, you begin to see the fingerprints of the spirit of God um, in people's hearts and lives. Um, and you can't, you can't program that, yeah. but yes, to your observation as a pastor, I, even now as I look back, um, I have a I have a, a fuller, a clearer appreciation and a sense of worship um, more and more for what God, because God's still working and and carrying forward uh, that greater work uh, mm-hmm. in the hearts and lives of people, um, hearts and lives of kids. Uh, every one of these every one of these pastors has had kids. And the kids carry their own story. Do you keep in touch with those who have gone through the program and your churches has sent them out? Do you kind of have a, a sense of, of how far this, the reach of your ministry has gone? Yes and no. I mean, it depends on the pastor in residence. Within the first year, two years, absolutely. Always following up. Uh, how are things going? <clears throat> uh, making ourselves available. Um, uh, much as Chuck had done with me we did and continue to do the same thing in following up. There was one guy, however, it was a little more difficult for us to follow up with because he left Seattle um, and he was an avid Seahawk fan. 
and he went to Green Bay. And, and so when we sent him out, we, when we sent him out, he was, he was uh, Japanese. So he and his wife, uh, first, generation, first generation Japanese, went to a Japanese uh, American church uh, in Green Bay, and we had to give him a cheese head. So that, that one was a, a difficult one. Up, like six months into his ministry, and, and he was flourishing, things were going well. Uh, but he sent us a picture wearing his cheese head, and he had he had gotten rid of his his Seahawk gear. So that that was that was a little more painful. It's <laughs> <laughs> hard. Kind of turning a corner here, just a little bit. I, if there's anything else from kind of your story, uh, the history as we've we've looked at this that that we've not touched on that you feel would be uh, um, important or or. Um, interesting to to share maybe a nuance of what i would add is um from the elder side this matured our elders not only in their shepherding shepherding heart uh but with different not with everyone but with different pastors in residence who came to us and then came into the ministry um they carried um a conflict and the need for conflict resolution that was not just with their church, but with their denomination. Mm -hmm. And for our elders, that was a level of conflict resolution. I'm talking about organizationally um, that we, we we were not, we were not experienced in. We began to gain experience just by doing that of Mm -hmm. of walking with, with a pastor and recognizing, Hey, this has not resolved. Um, There's still more here. We could see the hurt. We could see the anger. Um, and and going back, literally walking, driving with them um, back to denominational meetings um, or to area uh, leadership uh, to work through conflict, and and that was a piece that you know, <clears throat> we did it because we loved we loved the pastor and because we loved God's word and wanted the the full healing. Uh, but the pastor set the pace <clears throat> for for us stepping into that. But there there is that aspect that the healing of the pastor is an opportunity for the healing of the church, the the big C church. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that not only does the pastor have to embrace that, but the church has to embrace that as an opportunity as well. Yes. Uh, and that's a whole different animal. It is. But I wanted to to ask uh, to begin to glean uh, from your years of experience now of serving pastors. What are the things that that you've seen that put pastors um, at risk, or or put them in the the crosshairs, or make them more vulnerable to the the kind of uh, exits that that are not uh, amenable or uh, gracious? Tom, that's that's a really good question, um, and one that I've pondered both in my own story, what is it for me? What, what have been those other issues? In the 30 years I've been with Highlands, for example, um, there have been times and I'm gonna say issues that have come up that are, that are my stuff. I, I'm, you know, the, the, I had a flaw. There was something I had blinders on that I didn't see. Um, and I am so grateful to God <clears throat> that there was a culture, an emerging culture of truth and compassion um, to be able to come to me and to be able to bring that to me in a constructive way. The other was though, I just go, thank you God for your grace in my own life 
uh, to have the courage to receive and then to process and to be able to name and grow. Um, and that's just, that's hard. Sometimes difficult uh, in leadership um, where uh, there are men and women in leadership. I'm talking about from a lay perspective, from a volunteer perspective, um, where they're doing their best, they're good people, uh, but they don't know how to lead or necessarily how to hold uh, leaders well or deal with conflict well. Um, and so well-meaning people can do can can hurt people. Mm-hmm. Good people hurt people. It's broken people. It's healing people that really heal people because they mm-hmm. they're less judgmental <clears throat> when they have truth. They know how to apply truth in in the measure and how to create that space for people to receive the healing that comes from truth and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's hard, hard for leaders to know. Uh, depending on what, and so they find themselves in a board position, deacon position, deaconess position, and <clears throat> they can be, um, they can be rough. They can be, they can be hard to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I find, so leadership is, a, is a, one of those environments that can be very difficult. <clears throat> or if a person's not in leadership, they are the person of influence in a church and they wield their influence in a way that is less than uh, godly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, not meaning to do ill, but they end up hurting people. Mm. I find those, those are common. And th- those, those are the common themes we just heard over and over and over with guys who were coming into, into our pastor and residence ministry. And so how does a, a pastor who finds himself in a, a situation like that address it in a way that uh, isn't going to result with a pink slip on the pulpit or a, a farewell dinner. Yeah, that <clears throat> that's that's the challenge. Mm. That that is the challenge. Yeah. <clears throat> How do we deal with the hard issues? Hard issues on the leadership side. How well can they hold? How well mm-hmm. can they lead and care uh, <clears throat> without compromising truth? <clears throat> and then for pastors, when we have when we have a problem in our life have a marital problem, have a sexual problem, we have a financial problem, right? Problems with our kids. What do, what do we do? I have a, have a problem in my character. Um, what, do, what do I, how do I, how do I hold that? Um, do I have the courage to say, I need help? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, again, that's messy. That, mm-hmm. Because on staff, so uh, with our church, with 30 people, 30 plus people on staff, it's one thing to say, it's one thing for them to model, but hey, this is my life. If, if, and shame is powerful. I know that from my story, how hard it is to name mm-hmm. the shame, um, j- just because of the shame, let alone what I tell myself. The story I would tell myself is if I say anything about this, then I'll lose my job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... That story is reinforced by pastors we know who <clears throat> something happened and rather than a, a step of healing, they were, they were terminated. So Jim, can you just speak directly to pastors for a moment? Um, we've mentioned the word shame so many times today. And when pastors are experiencing shame, when all of us are experiencing shame, we tend to hide. We, we tend to pull back, which is the exact opposite response. What would you say to a pastor who knows they, they need to step out and 
step into the light, maybe is, is thinking about a PIR program and is struggling with whether or not this is for them? What, what would you say directly to those pastors? I, I'm going to be really honest with, with whoever's listening. If that's okay. I would never have called Chuck. I wouldn't have. I talked to a friend. And I think I probably would say, um, you know, may the listening audience uh, broaden. Um, and that if you know, so if you're listening and you know a pastor who uh, is exited or is in that place of conflict, and maybe you've, you've heard or maybe he's said to you or she has indicated, I'm thinking about leaving the ministry or I think I'm going to get fired. Um, to, to your listening, hey, there's a ministry here. Um, do what the paralytic needed. He needed someone to carry him to mm-hmm. Jesus uh, and put him at the, the foot uh, of the Lord. Uh, in fact, they went to great lengths to do that, right? They mm-hmm. took apart the roof and lo- lowered him down. Um, and their faith, your whoever's listening, your faith, your compassion for your 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 pastor who's struggling. Uh, you can make a phone call. You, you can not stop until um, you find someone in your area um, that can be a safe place for your friend and then take them, go with them, ask them if, Hey, can I, can I have so-and-so call you? What, what would you say to uh, a church who is considering being a refuge church, a place where pastors can come and heal, and they're on the fence about it? Uh, how would you encourage them to, uh, to make a decision for PIR? That's a, that's a really good question. Most elders and elder boards or whatever the leadership uh, structure is, they don't know. They're thinking, oh, how much, usually, first question is, how much is it going to cost us? Second question to me was, how much of your time, Jim, is this going to require? Hmm. And it's as much time as anybody else who's new coming into the church. I mean, yeah, yeah so it's, it's, not a, it's not a huge time factor. Uh, it's, it's a heart capacity. You'll have the heart to hold another hurting pastor and his wife or another hurting pastor and her husband um, in a way that is safe and can allow for for health and healing. One of the, one of the broadening areas uh, that, that we're um, looking at, and, and Sean is an example of this um, in the work of PIR now, is uh, caring for the pastor's soul. If I, if I can steal that from you, Sean. <laughs> Go ahead. Sean, Sean has a, a um, blog site called thepastorsoul.com where he writes on just uh, self-care and, and soul care for the pastor. What, what is your input and, and heart for that? Well, yeah, I, so Sean, what you're doing, uh, that's, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. Uh, keep it up, fan the flame and, and continue that work. Uh, I know from the position I've been in uh, for 40 years as a pastor, 30 years in this church, um, that there are questions and issues uh, in the ministry that I need I need other guys who, not in my denomination, um, but in a similar size church uh, that I need to be with. <clears throat> and, and then community comes out of that. Uh, that's what I have found. Community connection with other leaders, I need that. Um, so we're not talking shop, because what happens is we're talking similar issues, which is shop, but then we talk about us. So I, I created that, you know, as, as our church began to grow, when I got here as a church of about uh, 600 
and as the church continued to grow, uh, staff dimensions, that kind of, I was asking different questions. I would go to our denominational conferences, um, but what I found is that often they weren't asking and answering the questions I had. Um, so, so to your point in the work that you're, you're doing, Sean, to soul work, um, what does a pastor need? He, he needs to not be isolated. And, and so much of soul work is having a place to be who you are, um, where you can just let yourself down. And if you can do that on the, on, around the issues, by God's grace, there's some connections relationally with some people that are safe. Um, and then when there are issues, or as there are issues that are personal, you have that place where you can, you can share that. And I know so many pastors struggle with creating those relationships, uh, finding others who, who are willing to go to that depth uh, as well. Any insights on, on just how to find those friends? Oh, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so I, I'm a licensed mental health care provider uh, as well. So I do marriage, marriage and family trauma. I work in the area of sex addiction. Um, and so, you know, what now, now I'm going to, I'm just going to speak into the heart and soul of a man uh, and isolation that you were referring to earlier. Uh, we isolate really easy. We, we do that. We do that well, uh, which makes it hard. Uh, we become our own barrier to reaching out and finding someone. First of all, we're not safe ourselves. So am I safe? Can I, can I, can I be present with me and name um, you know, my, my problems, my crap, the stuff in my life that I could use other words that might not be appropriate? on this uh, or a family program (laughs) (laughs) i use words not for effect but to name what it really is yeah Uh, when paul said in philippians 3 he counted all dumb Uh, there are things in my life that are that way Uh, yeah can i can i can i am i willing to to develop some relationships with some guys um and that's a choice i have Mm -hmm. to be willing to do that i have to be willing to initiate and then I have to be willing to continue to look because some guys aren't willing to they'll talk shop, but they don't want to get down and, and talk where, where, where life is really lived. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about doing ministry today is you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to be meeting at Starbucks to do that. You know, you mm-hmm. can call somebody up on the phone. You can do a zoom call. You can begin to establish relationships with people. So a guy, a uh, pastor I'm mentoring in, in Iowa, um, so much of what we're doing is just like we're doing here, um, yeah. having personal conversations and asking those questions um, that, that are on the soul level where you're, where you, Sean, are doing that work um, of soul to soul. Hmm. I, I think guys like yourself and work like you're doing around the soul care of a pastor is, it's just critical. Yeah, I think you know, one of the things that, that I found in, in helping pastors is so many of them are just, like you said, isolated. Um, They don't have any safe people to talk to and learning to discern who is a safe person and finding those people and then trusting them enough to lean on that relationship a little bit. uh, It's a huge change in a pastor's life when they find that. Yes. 
uh, as an example, and only toss out as, as an example of some of the, maybe some of the places where we might not expect to find that. It was one of the men in our church um, who in time became an elder uh, on, our, on our elder board. But there was something about him and he could see I was struggling. He, 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 he's an engineer. He didn't, he didn't know the, like the, what the counseling things to say, but he had a caring heart. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking and I went, I went just below the surface to test. Right. I think we all kind of do that. We'll mm-hmm. share a little bit. How did he hold that? And uh, he became uh, one of the, of the men in, in our church where I could be honest and confidential with, and he held that confidentiality and he, he, he continued to hold me with, uh, with care, compassion, and with, with really good counsel. Mm-hmm. I needed that. Uh, and I looked for it and kept looking, and kept looking. The grace of God just shows up in so many unlikely places, uh, strange places. I think I would add one thing to the listening audience, or maybe just to you guys. Um, stats you guys already know. I was on um, uh, so Glue, which is an online um, research with Barna and some others, and and the recent stat that they had done. I think it was done last year. Uh, that for pastors, so this this is uh, within the United States, pastors that are under the age of forty. Uh, I think the stat said it was something like sixty. 60%, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, 40%, 60, 60% were uh, uh, 40 and older, which, which means that there is a tremendous transition that's happening um, within the church. <clears throat> so what, what do those transitions look like? Um, for guys that are aging out, for guys that are in conflict and are done, Right. One and done. I'm, 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 and then for the younger guys, where are the mentors for the younger guys uh, who are coming up and are transitioning into, into church environments and, and the, the need for what you're doing in the area of soul work, the need for mentoring, which is what I'm, I'm called to do um, is to mentor, mentor pastors, young pastors uh, who find themselves in that place of, of maybe transition, new to a church, new to leave. I, I just want to say, Jim, thank you so much for your time. And uh, would you be willing to come back on sometime and just talk about a little bit more about caring for uh, pastors and, and the soul and what a church can do uh, to care for them? Yeah, be an honor. Thank you again. Your, your time has, has been a gift, I think, uh, to so many pastors and churches out there. And I just hope that they'll, they'll be willing to, to hear what you've had to say. Well, I know what you guys know. Uh, we, the, the three of us and everyone else that's involved in the PR, we're, we're, a, we're a text, an email, a phone call away. Yep. You, we're here for- you are not alone. There is hope. Uh, those were the words that were spoken to me the first time when I was introduced to PIR and they made all the difference. So knowing that, well, Jim Mandis, thank you so much uh, for, for being with us. And uh, we do look forward to seeing how the Lord's going to continue to work. And uh, thank you for the willingness to allow your story to be a part of, of God's redemptive work uh, and joining that with other stories. Uh, for the glory of God and for 
the forward movement of his kingdom. Thank you, Tom and Sean. God, God bless you guys. Great being in team together. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed. And remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.